the beginning of, the, of creation, God has had a redemptive plan for creation, to, do, to draw creation to himself, to draw all men and all women to himself through the sacrifice and the resurrection of his son, Jesus. In Revelations 13 verse 8, it says, the lamb who was slaughtered before the world was made. Jesus, God's plan for creation was that Jesus would be slaughtered even before Adam and Eve had fallen short. This was God's plan since the beginning of creation, and God knew that man would fall. He knew that man would sin and fall short, so he already had a plan in place for when that happened. Jesus was God's plan A, and Jesus is still God's plan A. Jesus wasn't some secondary common plan. Jesus was God's plan from the beginning. Then skipping along uh, to the Israelites from the lineage of Abraham, God then calls a people for himself, the Israelites, Israel. They are enslaved by the, the Egyptians for hundreds of years, about 400 years, and God sets them free and brings them to Mount Sinai. They are led out of Egypt by a man named Moses, and from there, God calls Moses up Mount Sinai. Exodus 34 verse 28 says, So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. God creates a covenant with Moses and the people of Israel, saying that you will be my people and I will be your God. And you need to follow these commandments that I'm going to give you because I'm holy and I require you to be holy if you're gonna be my people. I require you to be set apart. So this covenant that God gives the people of Israel comes with a whole lot of terms and conditions known as the Mosaic law. The Israelites had a whole bunch of rules and laws that they had to follow in order to remain within God's presence. God is holy and man is not. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned, man is not holy. So God creates these laws so that man can cleanse themselves from sin and enter into God's presence. Isaiah 59 verse two says, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. So we can see here that sin separates us from God. But now see this, God puts his master plan into action. In 2 Timothy 1 verse 9, God saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. We can still see that Jesus was God's plan from the beginning of creation. It wasn't Adam and Eve and it wasn't Israel. Jesus was God's plan. So why send Jesus? Well, because Jesus is God and only God can make atonement for sins. Only God can redeem his people and only God can set people free from sin. Man cannot. So God sends Jesus to be the sacrifice for our sins. If you wanna turn in your Bibles with me to Hebrews 10, one to four. It says, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, we can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers 
having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So we can see that even though God has created this, um, this covenant between himself and Israel, we can see that the blood of goats and bulls doesn't wash away sins. It still leaves man with the consciousness, consciousness of sin and of guilt. In our conscience, we still feel guilty. We still feel sinful. So we can see that animal sacrifices are inadequate and they did not cleanse sins. However, people continued in their sin and did not turn to God because there's no relationship. If they loved God, they would have turned away from their sin. And those who did turn away from their sin were still left feeling guilty and still felt shame. They still felt condemned and unable to enter into a relationship with God. And this is why it was essential for Jesus to come. We are similar in this sense, that we feel that we have to work for God's approval that we have to do good works in order to earn his redemption, that we have to be super religious or self-righteous. But this isn't what God wants. God requires from us faith. Hebrews 9 verse 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? How much more will the blood of Christ, through who the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish, purify our conscience? God wants us to believe in the death and the resurrection of his son, Jesus, knowing that Jesus is his son, the perfect sacrifice. And this is what makes us good enough, the acceptance of the free gift of salvation through Jesus. Jesus' sacrifice not only cleanses our sins, but it also frees our conscience from guilt and of shame, frees us from our sin. This means that we now have the opportunity to approach God's throne with boldness as sons and daughters of him. Because of the blood of Jesus, we can come to God freely. We don't have to sacrifice some animal and maybe if we're part of the lineage of priests, we get to meet with God once a year. We can meet with God whenever we want to because of what Jesus has done for us. Hebrews 4 verse 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. God allows us to enter into his presence, his kingdom and a relationship with him because of the sacrifice of the blood of his son Jesus. We do not have to be like the Israelites at Mount Sinai, afraid to even hear God speak. They even asked Moses at one, one point to tell God to stop speaking because they were so afraid. We don't have to be like them. We can enter into God's presence freely knowing that he's our king, he loves us, and he's adopted us into his kingdom. Hebrews 10, 9 and 17 says, then he added, behold, I've come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. Then he adds, I will remember the sins and their lawless deeds no more. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. But he comes with a second covenant with the people. Our sins are now blotted out and they are no longer remembered. 
they are forgotten and we don't have to work for God's approval. There is nothing that we can do to earn love. As much as nothing can separate us from God's love, like we were saying this morning, there is nothing we can do to earn God's love. It's a free gift. So where to from here? We need to make sure that we are constantly pursuing Jesus, pursuing a right relationship with him and persevering in our relationship with him, no matter what kind of adversity we face. In Philippians 2 verse 12, it says, therefore my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The world is going to try to distract us from Jesus. The enemy is crouching at, our, the, at the doors of our hearts, waiting to cause us to sin. He wants us to stumble. But we need to constantly, constantly choose Jesus. We need to remember that there's nothing that we can do to earn his love. The next thing we need to do is be involved in godly community. We were never designed to live this life alone or be on our own. I remember when I first got here to Cornerstone in 2019, I come from a really small town with a, a small church of like maybe 120 people. So this was a shock to me. I was like, this is wild. But when I got here, I found myself being like, these guys are crazy. I mean, they, they have work and then they come, to, they come to life group. They have work, then they go to prayer meeting. They have work, then there's band practice. They have work, then there's youth. Then they have work and then there's still prayer meeting for men on a Saturday morning. Then they have work and they come to church on a Sunday and, 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 and. And I just felt myself saying like, why God, this is so frustrating. Like, how do these guys do this? How do they have such capacity for it? But I wanna commend you as Cornerstone that you guys value community and you value relationships. And this is something that had to change in my heart is that actually I don't need to go and sit on my couch alone at home. I have a community and fellowship and, and friends that I can press into and, and learn from and grow closer to God. Um, Hebrews 10 verse 10, uh, 24 to 25. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all of time. So let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. We need to be involved in a community that does this, where we are challenged and motivated towards acts of love and towards acts of obedience to God. We need to be motivated to good works. As much as good works don't save us, we need to not do good works out of obligation, but out of love for, for Jesus and for people, where we are encouraged to go out and bring the gospel to all peoples, nations, and tongues. We need to make sure that we are not neglecting the gathering of the saints. This doesn't mean that we watch church online or in our pajamas, no. This means that we are active and involved members in this army, in this body, or in this bride of Christ. We do not neglect the gathering of the church, but we physically attend these meetings and this fellowship. So we've got life groups that we can get involved in here at Cornerstone Church to be integrated. We have young adults, prayer meetings, junior youth, victorious warriors, 
key woman, Rev, youth, Sunday morning services, and kids' ministry. That's what I'm talking about. How busy, hey? But isn't it beautiful? We get to do this. We get to partner with one another towards this great commission that God has for us. This isn't so that we are inconvenienced, but it is for our own spiritual growth and our fellowship and relationships. And with God um, and, for one, uh, and for each and every one of us to grow um, in our relationship with Him. We aren't some kind of weird club that you only allowed to join if you're as weird as we are, or if you're as cool as we are. I don't know, you might think we're cool as well. But I cannot say that I have a relationship with anyone if I never speak to them, right? I cannot say that I know Greg if I phone him once a year, but I never see him face to face. Yes, we might speak for a little while, but Greg doesn't know me. He doesn't know what's going on in my life. You can ask anyone who's been in a long-distance relationship. I haven't. Thank you, Jesus. Please, Lord, I don't want to be in a long-distance relationship. But Kyle and Becky, for instance, you guys can ask them. It wasn't easy. So let us be set apart. Hebrews 10, verse 26 to 27 and 29 says, Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy. And have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. Isn't that scary? That God is saying if you sin knowing this truth, that there is no longer any sacrifice that will, for, that will um, be able to cleanse our sins or cover our sins. So we need to make sure that we are keeping a right relationship with Jesus and that we are constantly having a right image of who he is in our lives. I've noticed in my own life when I start to set myself on the throne where Jesus is supposed to be, I become puffed up and prideful thinking I'm deserving of of uh, grace and of forgiveness and I end up sinning intentionally thinking that I deserve grace and forgiveness but where this verse clearly says that actually we need to watch ourselves if we know this truth we need to watch that we do not uh, give in to sin there is no sacrifice that will cover these sins because of the knowledge that we have of this truth the last point that I have here is that we need to partner together in the gospel so that it may go out to all nations. That's another reason why we can't do this alone. The only way this can happen is if we have a love for Jesus first and then a love for one another. I heard this quote um, sometime, I think I was like scrolling to Instagram or something, um, and it said, if the enemy can cause your love for one another to be removed, he takes away the very thing that makes you most like Jesus. That's scary. If the enemy can cause us to dislike or hate one another or have unforgiveness within our hearts for one another, he takes away our ability to minister to others. Matthew 16, verse 15 to 18 says, <coughs> he said to them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. 
And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, bar Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus is the one who is building his church, and we are called to be a part of it. Jesus wasn't building his church on Peter, but Jesus was building his church on the revelation that Peter got from God about who Jesus is, that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God. Once we have this image of who Jesus is and this knowledge of who Jesus is, from there we can go and minister to the nations. We can go and change this world for Jesus. Once we have the right image of who Jesus is, setting him on the throne of our lives. Jesus is the one who's building his church. We are fortunate enough to be part of it. <coughs> Lastly, we as Cornerstone have been praying for revival. However, we will never ever be able to see the gospel go out and revival take place if we are focused on revival. We need to keep our eyes set on Jesus who is building his church. And from that place of focus and intimacy with him, revival will stem out of our daily lives and people around us will be impacted and transformed. We do not pray out of a love for prayer. We pray out of a love for Jesus and because we want a relationship with him. And in a similar way, we do not seek out revival so that we can have Jesus, but we seek out Jesus so that revival may take place. So here's a summary of what I was saying. Make Jesus Lord over our lives, point number one. Repent and turn away from your sin. Encourage one another and be accountable. Have relationships with one another that you can count on and share what's going on in your life. This is quite difficult. I've struggled with this a lot in my own life, but it's freeing when you are accountable to someone. Get involved in godly community. Don't just come and warm the seat. Don't just stay in your bed and watch online in your pajamas and try to be comfortable. We, we are on a mission and we have a mission field to go to. And that's the nations. And then lastly, take the gospel to all nations. Thank you. Well, good morning, church. So I just want to continue off from where he left off. And um, I'm trusting God to, to glue everything together. I'm not going to try and make it as though uh, we prepare together and I'm doing the next episode. So God will put it all together in our hearts and it will all become clear. Um, the theme I want to speak on this morning is uh, the position of faith. The position of faith. And uh, I'll start off as you continue in Hebrews. We know Hebrews 11 is, is, is a chapter on faith. And, uh, you know, uh, the, the author would introduce and, and tell you what faith is all about. And then he speaks of all these uh, heroes of faith these men and women who had all these different exploits on faith. And he speaks also of Abraham, who I want to speak about this morning, 
with Abraham, he says, in, it's in Hebrews 11 verse 8, he says that by faith, Abraham, when called out, called out of his uh, country, he obeyed God. He followed God and went into a place that he doesn't know to go and dwell in tents, to go and dwell in, in a place as a, as, a, as a stranger, as a foreigner in this, in this new land. And as you read, um, in fact, uh, I want to read from Acts chapter 7. And in, and in the book of Acts, we have this speech from Stephen uh, about, well, Stephen's speech gives the whole account. You know, it's almost like he's summarizing the entire Bible for you. And in, in Stephen's speech, when it starts out, he says, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. And he said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go to the land I will show you. Now, the reason why I want to... Uh, look into this uh, Stephen's speech, it's, it gives this nice account of where was Abraham when God called him. And we know that he was in the air of Chaldeans, right? Uh, that's what you'd read in Genesis chapter 11. In fact, my whole message today will be based in the book of Genesis chapter 12. But in chapter 11, we see how Abraham had began this journey out of of Chaldeans because God has spoken to him from there. And if, if you only read it from chapter 12, you'd, you'd think that God called him out of Haran, but he actually called him out of Air of Chaldeans. And as research has it, this land, Air of Chaldeans, is a land which was in, it was a rich city. It was a great city. It was a city where there was wealth, there was riches. Abraham would have been very comfortable in this land. Abraham would have not need to to move out of this place. He was in a position where he, he, he had uh, resources. There were resources for him. This city was a low-lying region where the river Euphrates would pass through. And therefore, even in seasons of drought, uh, this, this, this land would still be, be green. It will still be green because of, of, of the river. It will be a place where you have resources, a place of resources. And here is God calling Abraham out of this land saying, come out of this land and go to the land that I will show you. God, what do you mean I should come out of this? I'm in a comfortable place. I'm in a place where I don't need to be praying because I can rely on the resources that are here. I can rely on the river Euphrates that is giving this place to be green. I can rely on the riches of air of Chaldeans because it's a great city. It's a city where there's there great wealth. Why should I come out of this place that I'm in? And yet Abraham obeys God. Abraham moves a little and is in Haran. He's not yet in the land that God has called him to be. And, and when, when you take the whole account, uh, when you uh, take it from what uh, uh, Stephen is telling us and, and you're just bringing everything to reconcile everything, you actually see that Abraham took the first step out of air of children, but is now in Haran and, and, and is, is located there, but God is still pushing him out of there to bring him into this land which is now the present day Israel where Abraham is going to settle, where, where God is going to tell him when we read in Genesis chapter 12, uh, I don't know why my Bible is closing, perhaps it's because it's not mine, 
Um, for those who see a pink Bible, I do not own a pink Bible. <laughs> um, now, we read in Genesis 12, this is when Abraham has already journeyed into this, this land. He's already journeyed into um, this land of the Canaanites. And from verse 7 it says, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So God appears to Abraham. And this is the word altar that uh, we've been hearing this morning. So he built there an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. And verse 8 says, From there he moved to the hill country east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And they built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And called upon the name of the Lord. There's something I want to show us here. Abraham moved from Ere of Chaldeans, which is a, a, a good place, a wealthy city, a rich city, a city which is green, greener pastures. It is fed by the Euphrates River and is now finding himself in a land which is prone to drought, prone to famine. And, and we read of all of these three fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they, they, they find themselves in a famine in this very land. So, so much so that with Isaac, God had to tell him, you know what, don't, don't even go to Egypt. Now, if, if I had time, I was going to read the whole of chapter 12. But what happens in chapter 12 is that Abraham is hit by a famine in this very land. And what does he do? He goes down to Egypt. Why? Because, of course, Egypt, similar to Air of Chaldeans, is also a low-lying region. It is fed by River Nile. It is, it is a greener pasture. There you can find uh, food and resources. It's a, it's a rich city. But here where God has called him, it's a, it's, it's a dry land. It's a, it's a hilly country. Uh, we, we, we hear of Abraham moving about the hills and pitching his tent. And he's hit by a famine. But there's something I want us to see here. That when he was in this land, when God appeared to him and tells him that this land I give to you and your descendants, he pitched, he, he puts out an altar. And he moves about, pitches his tent, and again he puts out an altar and, and there he called upon the name of the Lord. So I'm speaking about this, this position that Abraham finds himself in. He finds himself where God wants him to be, where his descendants have to be, the land that is an inheritance for him. It is in that land that he puts out an altar to the Lord. It is in that land that he calls upon the name of the Lord. And it's quite significant that he had the first altar after God appeared to him, but then he has this second altar because he's now having uh, pitched his tent. And that tells me that he wanted to have an altar even in his home, to call upon the name of the Lord even in his home, that in his home, his, his home will be a household that calls upon the name of the Lord. What does it mean to call upon the name of the Lord? You know, to, to, to call upon the name of the Lord means that uh, you're calling upon someone that you believe is, right? 
uh, we, we read that in, 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 again, back in Hebrews in the chapter of faith, that those who come to the Lord are those who believe that he is, and he is the reward of those who diligently seek in him. So when you call upon the name of the Lord, you're, you're calling upon someone who believes can save you. Those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So it is a faith thing to call upon the name of the Lord. Uh, one example I can give, which I hope no one here practices, is, is, is in, 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 our, in the African tradition, uh, when you want to, when they do this uh, ancestral worship, you know what they do? They, they, they have altars. Some of the altars would be grave sites. They call pour a drink offering and they call upon the name of their ancestors. Why? Because they believe that they can hear. But I've got news for us that those cannot hear. Only Jesus hears us when we call upon the name of the Lord. Only Jesus is alive even today. Yes, we, we're going to be celebrating Easter in the coming weekend, but we, we know that Jesus is alive even today. When we call upon the name of the Lord, we're calling upon a name that is alive, a name of Jesus who is alive, a Jesus who comes to save us. So to call upon the name of the Lord means that you're living in faith. You're living, believing that he is that this God is, that he, he is there, he's there for you. He can hear you when you call upon the name of the Lord. You're someone who believes that God is. He is. He's the rewarder of those who diligently seek in him. And now what we see happens in, 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 in Genesis 12 is that Abraham is hit with famine. And you know, the Bible is very honest. If all these great men, we, we get to read of their weaknesses and some of interesting decisions they make. And what we see here, Abraham, instead of being in this land where it's a land where you need to rely on God, because when you're in, in this uh, Israelite land where it's a dry, hilly country, the Negev is dry, it's hilly. You need to rely on God. You need to pray to the God who sends the rain. And we know this, uh, I mean, Elijah would pray that the rains uh, doesn't come for three years, and he prays again, and rain comes. It is a land where you rely on God. This land is a land of faith. It's a land where you need to exercise faith. You do not rely on, on wealth. You do not rely on, on resources. You do not rely on, on, on the river Nile or the river Euphrates, which is, which is keeping this place green. It is a land where you rely on the provision of God. You rely on God who gives. You rely on God who, who, who provides. And it is a land that causes you to call upon the name of the Lord. Now what happens is Abraham journeys into Egypt looking for food, looking for resources. And guess what? We don't read that he calls upon the name of the Lord. We do not read that he's setting up any altars when he's in Egypt. We do not read that he's, he's, he's seeking out God's face in that position. He's in Egypt now. But what we read is that he's lying. Says his uh, wife is, is, is not his wife, is his sister. He's, he's, he's now getting into sin, actually. What we read is that he's putting his wife in a very dangerous position. Oh, but God's grace. You know, we can identify with this man, Abraham, that when, when the tough gets going, we also want to, to, to take matters in our own hands. When situation looks uh, a bit bleak, when you look at the economy of, of the country, when you look at the basis point going up, 25 basis point recently, when you look at ESCOM, uh, turning off our lights, when you look at the politics of the country and you think that maybe it is time for you to pack your bags and go to another country. But 
Where has God positioned you? Where has God positioned you? Now, now Abraham finds himself in Egypt. He doesn't even put out an altar in Egypt. He doesn't even call upon the name of God in Egypt. He doesn't even think about his God in Egypt. But God is so gracious. Because we can identify with Abraham. We can do the same thing like Abraham did. When it gets tough, we can also take matters in our own hands. When it gets tough, we can also journey and go astray. But God comes through for Abraham. He, he brings a plague. We read that he brings a plague into the house of Pharaoh to warn him that, hey, Sarai is a wife of Abraham. Be careful now. That, that's, that's God intervening. That is God coming through. I mean, Abraham was just by himself. He was, he was going to allow his wife to, to become a wife to another man and all of that. But God comes through. Because God is a gracious God. He comes through. Now what we read in Genesis 13 I don't know why this Bible keeps closing. Um, I think it's, Genesis is very, it's in the beginning, so the beginning wants to close. <laughs> in, in Genesis 13, I just love this, that, and let's read Genesis 13, 1 to 4. So Abram went up from Egypt. Now this is after it has all happened, after God has intervened. So Abram went up from Egypt, and he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with them into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold, and he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where, he, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called Upon the name of the Lord. It's as if, uh, and this is one theory I have, it's as if Abraham and God's people kind of knew that in this land you need to call upon the name of the Lord. So much so when the uh, woman who met up with Jesus, or Jesus meeting up with this woman, she says that, oh, but it is in this mountain that we call upon the name of the Lord. And Jesus says, hang on, coming a time, and the time has already come that you will call upon the name of the Lord. Not, we don't have to go to Israel to call upon the name of the Lord. Even here, we can call upon the name of the Lord. Where those who worship him will worship him in spirit and in truth. But what we see here is that there was a position of faith. Because I'm speaking about three positions here that Abraham finds himself in. One, he finds himself in heir of children's. He makes a journey towards the promised land. He makes a journey towards this land that God is going to give him and his descendants. But he parks at Haran. Right? He parks at Haran. And then there's still a movement until God appears to him and says, now this land I will give to you and your descendants. And it was a land where he called upon the name of the Lord. It was a land where he put out altars to call upon the name of the Lord. It was a land of faith. It was a land where he had to rely on God. Where he called upon the name of the Lord. To declare that God is a living God. To, to proclaim the name of Jesus. You know, this is, the sec this is the second time in the Bible we read about calling upon the name of the Lord. The first time was in Genesis 4. And then this, the flood story. There's uh, the putting up of uh, uh, the Tower of Babel. 
there's all this sin going on. But now, with Abraham, we read this phrase again. Called upon the name of the Lord. It did not happen in Egypt. It did not happen in Egypt. And I want to challenge us this morning on where are you positioned? Are you where God wants you to be? Are you in this land? It may be dry. It, 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 it may be hilly. Are you in the land that God wants you to be? A land where you, you need to rely on faith. Where you need to call upon the name of the Lord. Yes, some lands may look very nice and green and they're fed with uh, the Euphrates River. They're fed with the Nile River. They are rich with resources. But in this land where God calls you to be, it's a land where you live by faith. Where you live by faith. Mind you, I'm not saying that uh, you should declare yourself to be poor and sell your resources. Abraham was very wealthy, as we just read. Right? So this is not a call to, 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 to have a poverty mindset. No. It's a call to say that we do not have faith in the resources that we have or faith in our own hands, but in God. That we live by faith, not by, by, by the provisions of, 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 of the natural resources. Because when we do live by, by what we see around us, that is when we begin to, to pack our bags and go. When we see that uh, it seems like things are not going well in South Africa, seems like things are not going well in, 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 in this uh, suburb or in this church or wherever it may be, and then you begin to pack your bags and go, where has God positioned you? And I want to encourage someone this morning to be positioned in a local church. As, as Aaron was uh, just teaching just now. Are you integrated? Are you positioned in a life group? Are you integrated? And, and this, uh, this point of po position, it can be in, in many areas of your life. It could be perhaps in your work. Maybe it's going tough a bit there at work and you're thinking of resigning. But what if God is saying, stay put? Stay put. And again, don't, don't, don't think that I'm saying that in everything you stay put. No. Abraham was told to leave heir of Chaldeans. In some cases, God tells you to go. Bottom line is that you go by faith. You stay by faith. And you're in a place where you call upon the name of the Lord. Where you rely on the living God. Now, in all of these positions, the one position I really want us to, to think about is the position of being in God's court. Is the position of, you know, as, as, as we read in Psalms 84, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. It's a position of being close to Jesus. You know, when, when Martha was busy with the pots and so on. But, but you're just there at the feet of Jesus, a position of being by his feet, a position of being close to him, a position where you are, where, where he wants you to be. Where are you positioned this morning? I want to challenge three types of position you may be in, especially in relation to the kingdom of God. You may have left heir of Chaldeans. You may have left no, as Chaldeans, as we read in Joshua 24, um, Joshua 24 reveals to us that they were actually serving other gods. That's what Joshua says. He says, uh, Abraham was called out of that place where they were serving other gods, right? So, so it was a place of sin. You're not where God wants you to be. You're, in, you're, in, you're living in sin, all right? That's A of Chaldeans. Let's have this metaphorical picture 
Where earth chaldeans means you're living in sin. You're not where God wants you to be. You're serving other gods. Nowadays, some of the gods we serve is this god called me, me, myself, and I. Another god we serve is money, mullah, you know. Jesus mentions that in Matthew 6. You cannot serve God, both God and mammon. Serving other gods. Serving other gods. Where are you this morning? Are you positioned in air of Chaldeans? Where you are serving other gods? Yourself, money, whatever it may be. You rely on yourself. You, you have faith in your own hands, in your own skills, in your own resources, in your own talents. Where you are not calling upon the name of the Lord. Where you're not declaring him, calling upon the name of the Lord. Oh, and I, I want you to think about that just now. May you be, are you, are you, may you be in that position. Are you in that position where you are in the air of children's relying on self? Or have you began a journey? And perhaps many of us here have begun a journey. And that's why we're in church. Have you begun a journey towards where God wants you to be, but you have camped at Haran? And you need to complete that journey. You need to complete that journey to find yourself at a place where God can appear to you and say, this is the place. This is where I want you to be. And again, I'm speaking about faith and your position in the kingdom of God. Or perhaps you've been in the kingdom of God. You have uh, given your life to Jesus. You've been in the kingdom of God. You've set up altars in your homes where you call upon the name of the Lord, where you have faith in this Jesus but you found yourself, you've traveled down to Egypt looking for food because of this famine. Things got tough a bit. God is calling you back. He says, come. Come. It's the last word I want to leave with you this morning. Come. Come. If you're in the air of children's, Come. If you were on your way and you paused at Haran, come. If you went down to Egypt because things were not going well, come back. Abraham came back and when he came back, he called upon the name of the Lord. God's grace is sufficient for us this morning. God appears uh, and, and rescues Abraham while he was in Egypt. Even yourself, he, he, even myself, he, he comes and rescues us while we're in Egypt. And I want to encourage us this morning to come. Now take a moment and think which position you are in. Are you in the position of faith? Are you in the position where you, you have altars in your home, where you call upon the name of the Lord? Are you in a position where you are exactly where God wants you to be, even spiritually so? Where are you this morning? Come. Come. Come and find this love that we're singing about. His love never fails. Come and find this uh, refreshment from him. He gives living water. Come. Come back from that place where you're relying on yourself. Come back to that place of faith. Come. Come. Come hear him speak to you again and tell you that this is the place where you put up altars before him and you call upon the name of the Lord and you have faith in him. 
come. 